We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back like we never left. Oregon fans, what's going on? How's everybody living? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, coming to you live on both YouTube and Twitter on a Friday afternoon. Uh, Super, super stoked for today's episode because I get to bring on a good friend of mine and, uh, you know, a a fellow writer in the, the Oregon market and a fellow Zag. We got Eric Scopel of Duck Territory out here on the on the show today. We're going to talk some spring ball and then maybe uh, get some uh, mailbag questions in from you guys that are here live in the chat. So throw some in there if you have some. We'll do our best to get to them. But Eric, how we doing, man? Great to have you on. Are we carving out some time to talk Zags at the end? We have some uh, If you want to talk about some heartbreak, we can do that. <laughs> yeah, maybe, <laughs> Just another year. Maybe, maybe we put it off. Maybe, maybe we hold off. But we stick with some more uplifting things like Oregon football. Let's do that. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah, man. So like I was telling guys, I was telling Eric before, you know, we're kind of just riffing on this episode. Don't really have a lot of concrete plans, but I think that's kind of what you get to do when you're, you know, kind of eating, sleeping, breathing all of the the Oregon football that we can possibly uh, handle. Um, but so what I wanted to start with, Eric, was just to kind of get some of your thoughts on, uh, on spring ball. You know, you were out there in Eugene getting to go to the pressers, getting to go to practices. Um, so maybe we could just kind of open it up a little bit about, you know, where the ducks are right now as we kind of head towards fall camp and, and some of your takeaways. Yeah. And as you know, access can be kind of limited. So the, the big day and opportunity to really learn much came on the 29th with yourself and everyone else watching like the spring game at this point with the way practice was run really was kind of the big day to take things away so I've, i rewatched that game like i don't know 12 times i rewatched it last night um you know i think i don't know if we want to run through all the spring game thoughts necessarily but i think just big picture coming out of spring like a couple of things stand out i think offensively you get the sense that um not much is going to change under Will Stein from what we saw under Kenny Dillingham. I, I think that was kind of one of the the clear com- components of it in terms of talking with him, talking with players, talking with Knicks. It's just like a lot of this is going to look very similar to what we saw last year. And, you know, the old adage of if it isn't broke, don't fix it probably applies here where Oregon offensively was certainly one of the best teams on the West Coast, one of the better teams nationally in, in most of the statistical categories. So it makes sense to kind of have some continuity there. You've got um, you know, Nick's back as somebody who can clearly have a pretty big role in terms of actually running the offense and making you know decisions at the line. That's another thing that'll carry over. So I think offensively, you're going to see, uh, you know, schematically, it sounds like it'll be pretty similar um, to what we saw at least last year. And 
And then there's you know some question marks at some of the skill positions that we can get to. There's some offensive line stuff that certainly that was probably one of the bigger uh, dis- points of disappointment from the spring game was there were some there were some kind of low points there, but a lot of guys out, and of course they're they're not working as a cohesive group because of the way they split it, so it's hard to take too much. And then defensively, I, I thought a couple things really stood out. Um, you know, I think the big one was you know, with so many issues last year in coverage, we've talked about this over at Ots and Audible, so I'll pimp out my own podcast. Go but for just, it. Just of that, you know, it was pretty notable to me that they moved, you know, Jamal Hill over to play inside, you know, inside linebacker after working in the defensive backfield the last couple of years. And, um, you know, and that, that, that they were cross-training a lot of their corners to play safety or nickel. It just, it, it just you got a sense, and, and even with some of the recruiting decisions in terms of the players they're bringing in, of how much they valued needing better coverage athletes on the field. And I thought that kind of bare through throughout spring. And I'm, I'm not, I, we haven't talked, Max, about your takeaways in the spring game, but one of my big ones was just that the defense top to bottom looked better than what we saw a year ago. So um, I, I'm pretty encouraged there. you got to really – I think another part to me is the defensive line is super experienced. I was just looking through it yesterday of, like, I think there's 83 – combined return starts amongst five guys with at least four years of college experience. Like that's, that's just a lot. So um, yeah, no. So I think, I think offensively you feel like it's going to look pretty similar to last year and you're hoping defensively it's going to look a little different. And that some of the younger guys that you brought in or some of the portal players are going to make differences. And again, I think some of the decisions to move guys around was interesting and I'll be kind of curious to see how all that plays out come fall. Sure. So let's let's just start on, on offense and we can kind of sprinkle in some spring game tidbits as we see fit. Um, I think the offensive line would probably be the biggest question mark right now, if you want to call it that, you know, on that side of the ball, seeing that they lost so many starters from a year ago only makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, but I think this is really shaping up to be an excellent situation for a league Terry to slide into, even though, you know, he's the youngest coach on the staff pretty much, at least as an assistant, you know, with his right. own room. Um, <laughs> But it's not like the cupboard's bare there, right? You know, you got Connerly coming back. Um, you got Stephen Jones, uh, Marcus Harper, Jackson Powers Johnson. And then you bring in some really good transfers in Junior Angelow and Johnny Cornelius. So I think it's only realistic and maybe logical to expect that group to take a quote-unquote step back. But that doesn't mean it's going to be a bad group by any means. Um, you knew that they had to shore up that group if they wanted to get Bo Nix to, to come back for another year. That was obviously a piece of the puzzle. And then it looks like kind of what you were saying, Will Stein wants to pick up where Kenny Dillingham left off, find a little bit of what worked for, for them last year and keep that going. And then kind of add some of his own wrinkles from UTSA maybe. Yeah, no. And, and to the offensive line part, like to be clear, I think they have talent on the roster, just the spring game as a whole. And, and these matchups are always misleading. I mean, one of the big storylines of the 2021 spring was like DJ Johnson, just obliterating people. And then you go back and watch it. And it was like, Feope and Bailey Jaramillo facing off against him. And so some of this was just a matter of there's more defensive line depth in terms of quality of players going up against like at times, you know, like great, it was great to see Popo Amov. I had a couple of nice kind of plays in terms of pass rush, but you look up and you go, well, he's going against Charlie Pickard. who's like a, a walk on who's, who's probably never going to be somebody you actually see on the field. And, and that was just one incident I picked up on last night. And there was a bunch of them that were similar. So, you know, some of that stuff is probably exacerbated in terms of the concerns, but I, I think watching the spring game, several times again, it was kind of startling how frequent various defenders were in the backfield for both sides and the impacts that had. I mean, I think Ty was really up and down. And I think a lot of the first half struggles were to the fact that like Mace Funa just beasted a Johnny Cornelius on like three straight plays. If you go back and watch that, which is, which is part of why I'm a little concerned because I just thought he would hold up a little better there. And over the course of the game, it got better. Um, But you know, some, some of the stuff is, is, is not, 
necessarily like a lack of talent, but it's like you wonder what it looks like together. And the fact that we never really got to see that is is maybe not concerning, but it's something that you're going to be kind of wanting to watch when you get into fall. Um, particularly like it seems like you kind of nailed it. Like the two tackles are pretty clearly Connerly and Cornelius. And I'm really excited by that. I've said a couple of times, I think that's one of the more, maybe the most athletic offensive tackle pairings we've seen Oregon have, which in terms of like two NFL caliber athletes out there, they're a little bit smaller. They're not the TJ Bass and big solo that the tackles last year are much bigger people, but both these guys are a lot more athletic. And then, you know, JPJ in the middle makes sense. And Steven Jones has starting experience, but that left guard spot kind of felt like it was going to be either Junior Angelo or Marcus Harper, but neither guy were healthy for the spring game. And so we really didn't get a sense of that. So that's why I guess I, I have some questions there. I don't know if it's major concerns quite yet, but um, the standard, and, and I guess the other point I'll say is the standard was so high last year with this offensive line. And you think of the success that the offense as a whole had, I think you give a lot of credit and you tip your cap a lot to those guys, but you just kind of wonder what's the, not to be too concerned here, but what's the impact potentially if that takes a step back or how much of a step back does it take and how does that impact what Bo can do and what the offense as a whole can do? Yeah, because keeping Bo upright is obviously going to be a major priority and, and the mark has been set incredibly high from last year. I think it was five sacks yeah. allowed on the entire year, um, which is uh, elite. That's like the only other way you can put it. Best nationally. Um, yeah, yeah best nationally. Ex exactly. So, yeah, I mean, you, you put it, you put it right, you know, not maybe a quite a concern, but some question marks, just kind of, we don't know what that group's going to look like together. Um, you know, Leak Terry was really, really complimentary of uh, Josh Connerly, just talking about how he's like the hardest worker in that room. Um, and I think someone also said that he might have the best feet in that room. Um, and, you know, putting that job, protecting Bo Nix's blind side on an underclassman isn't really something we've seen since Panay Sewell was at Oregon. And that's not an easy job to, to have on your shoulders, but it looks at least right now, like they're very willing to, to put that on, uh, you know, Josh Connerly right now. And, and he's, you know, taking that in stride. I, I don't want to spend too much time on the offensive line, although I know it is uh, a very intriguing position. Um, sure. I did kind of want to pick your brain a little bit about tight end because it's it's an interesting situation the Ducks find themselves in right now with Terrence Ferguson getting banged up in the spring. Uh, I think I was talking about it and writing about it, um, about how Cam McCormick and Maliki Matabao's transfers are, are stinging a little bit more right now because you had to finish um, at least more than maybe they they projected to sting when they initially left. Um, is, is kind of what I'm saying, but you have to pivot a little bit. You know, you kind of throw Kenyon Sadiq into the fire. Uh, I think you got good confidence in Patrick Herbert, seeing that he finished his first, you know, full healthy season, which is an accomplishment for him with uh, how banged up he's been. And then, uh, you know, you kind of exit spring ball by dipping into the portal to grab Casey Kelly uh, from Ole Miss. So I just kind of wanted to get some of your thoughts on that room and, and how they project to be next year. Just to start, I think one thing that really interests me, and I've, I've mentioned already, we both talked about Stein and how similar the offense will be. I guess one area that I just am wondering aloud about, given the lack of bodies, is is will they use tight ends with this higher frequency? And, you know, uh, because a year ago, you know, they had four guys play, I think, over 150 snaps amongst, you know, Ferguson. And then you mentioned the two that left and, and, and Patrick Herbert. And so if they are going to utilize the tight end position the way they used it last year, that means it's literally all hands on deck from a scholarship perspective. That means all four guys are going to have to have big roles. It makes sense why they've offered and are kind of still actively looking at other portal options. But um, 
if there is going to be a difference of approach there where you don't see the tight end on the, you know, a traditional tight end on the field so frequently. And I do think it's notable that you look at the two prep tight ends that Oregon, um, you know, has signed or, or, or will sign hopefully in the case of uh, AJ Pugliano, those are both kind of smaller, more like tweener body types. And I just kind of wonder if, if the sense here long-term will be that they're going to carry, you know, one inline guy for specific packages, but, utilize a guy like Kenyon a lot and the Terrence Ferguson, even though he's a bigger athlete a lot in terms of flexing those guys out. So I, I, uh, I guess I'm not really sure exactly what the role is going to be at tight end. And if it is kind of a, a different approach, then I'm not as concerned, but if they are intending to utilize all four and play them a ton, like we saw last year, um, I do get a little bit nervous of, about that. Cause I, I, I don't know if, I don't really know a ton about Casey Kelly in terms of he's just somebody that was added recently. His production almost certainly wasn't incredible. Kenyon Sadiq is a true freshman, and Patrick Herbert has had his own injury issues. And you compare that to the group they had last year, and it's certainly that group, at least last year, had a couple other guys that were more capable. So I think you, there's reason, again, to be to at least look at the tight end room and, and not feel like that's a strength um, because I don't think it is offensively. I think there's a lot of areas to really like. But you do kind of wonder after you get past Ferguson, uh, what do you have? But at the end of the day, to the point I'm kind of trying to make here, if is if Ferguson is the only tight end you're going to utilize with high frequency, and maybe the tight end position gets kind of you know a li- a li- limited a little bit in terms of what it does, then it probably doesn't hurt you as much. But I do find it to be kind of interesting, just sort of what they've chosen to do there, and um, it'll be interesting to see, I guess, if they actually ultimately do pull the trigger and land a, a fifth scholarship tight end, because that would probably speak to the fact that they are going to be a little bit more uh, involved in the offense than, than maybe they could be. I, I saw this one interesting hypothetical thrown out, um, you know, the other day, whether it was on my, my show or on social media or wherever it was. And, and I don't think it's likely by any means, but I kind of just wanted to throw it out there. I think I saw someone mention like, Hey, why don't we, why don't the ducks, uh, you know, have a uh, Kyler Casper working a little bit at tight end because he is <clears throat> so big. Um, and then, you know, we also had, you know, Mateo Uyunglele taking some snaps at, at tight end. Um, but I kind of just wanted to throw that out there again. I don't think it's likely because, you know, Casper is a receiver, but he's the biggest receiver in that room. And that room's pretty crowded, right? You know, with Trayshawn Holden, Tez Johnson, Chris Hudson, Troy Franklin, um, and, you know, some Justice Lowe. You got some younger guys in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting to see how they had to pivot a little bit. And, you know, maybe some of the options that they have on this roster, um, you know, given the depth along the D-line, but you probably want Mateo full-time D-line. Mateo was intriguing. I mean, the fact that he actually played there in the spring game was kind of intriguing. I, I mean, and, and again, it was really limited, so it's hard to take much from it. I and mean, he was a pretty celebrated two-way athlete, you know, out of St. John Bosco. You know, I'm sure, Max, you know about that even more than I do, living down there and, and watching some of his, his games. But, um, no, I think that one would make sense. if, if Because, again, cause again if, if, if you need a fifth body to be a regular out there, and maybe he plays 70 snaps all season on offense, but – whatever the number is, 400 on defense, that probably isn't a terrible thing. I don't know if Casper makes sense to me just because of the the weight part of it. We don't have updated weights. He was listed at 195 last year, six foot six, 195. I can't imagine, just having walked around him, I can't imagine he's much more than like 210 right now. I think he's still pretty slight of build. So, the, I mean, maybe you could, speaking to what I was talking about earlier of like the Kenyan Sadiq and kind of these more hybrid tight end roles like maybe he can fit into something like that but if you're asking him to play like a more traditional inline position like what herbert and and, and obviously what like matavau and and uh, mccormick were doing mostly last year 
I would say that doesn't really fit, but that doesn't mean they can't create certain matchups with him that sure. would be similar to a tight end. I just don't know if like strictly playing tight end that that adds up for me, unless he's going to bulk up a bunch. Which if you've seen photos of his dad, like there is certainly room to to grow and add weight because um, his, his dad shredded. His dad's a shredded guy, and Kyler's still really light. So I mean, I think ultimately Kyler's probably going to play at like six six two twenty five, you know, two thirty maybe even. If, like if a Jawan Johnson to. deal. Yeah, if he wants to, but like right now he's just. I think he's a he's a little bit light on that part. So I don't know if. I I just think he would be a you would be a major mismatch if he's out there trying to block like defensive ends and linebackers with his current body type. And and then there's also the challenge, Eric, that you always have uh, when guys get to high school or from the high school ranks to the college ranks. You know, Kyler is his billing coming out of high school was like freak athlete, really good ball skills, you know, body control. But as you add that weight, you don't want to lose that athleticism. You don't want to lose that explosiveness, that mobility. Not to say that that's going to happen, but it's just something that you have to consider. And, you know, I, I was over at uh, St. John Bosco to, at their showcase. Uh, Junior Adams offered a trio of wideouts from Bosco earlier this week. And I was kind of talking about Mateo with, uh, you know, some people around that program saying that, you know, he was really doing a good job, you know, catching passes just during spring ball uh, at Oregon. But he kind of maybe prefers a little bit more of, of uh, the defensive side of the ball. Um, and then kind of like you were saying last year, the, the the big thing with him was that he was focusing more so on defense instead of having to be used on offense, but had some big games against modern day where they were kind of trailing and they needed to turn to somebody. And they turned to Mateo and he came up uh, pretty big. Um, speaking of Mateo, let's, let's switch to the, the defensive side of the ball for a little bit here, Eric. Um, you know, Mateo is obviously one of the biggest recruits that the Ducks have landed in the Dan Lanning era, you know, him, Tosh Lapoy and Tony Tuioti all played a big role there. I want to talk a little bit about him and just kind of how you think he's adjusting to the, the college game after, uh, seeing him in the spring game. And then also we got to talk about Jordan Birch because he is like the story on Oregon's defensive front and trying to take that group from good to great, like we heard all throughout spring, and take them to the next level. I mean, with Mateo, like I think when you and you and you've been around, so you understand this, Max. Like the the first thing you're looking at with true freshmen when they arrive is just like physically, does it look like it makes sense? And, and it makes sense. And every, yeah, but with Mateo, it 100% does. And I was just gonna say, like every year, there's a couple guys that come through, and you're like, oh. Like, and here's an example that I, I think I've shared with you is Harrison Taggart was one where everybody has four-star recruit linebacker. Everyone was excited about him. You, you wouldn't, I couldn't have picked him from a walk on walking through the line. He just looked unimpressive compared to what you expected for a recruit with that kind of a ranking. Right. And you see a, uh, like a Kyler Casper is another example, a guy who comes in, you go, Oh, he's leaner than I expected. He would be. I think even Kenyon Sadiq for me was just a little bit physically smaller than I thought it would be. That doesn't mean he can't contribute because we've already kind of established like there might be roles for him, even though he's not, you know, a traditional 245 to 250 pound tight end. But Mateo, it was like, oh, like, yeah, this this looks good. And and I think that sort of shown through in the, in the spring game. Like he had some really nice moments, again, going against walk-on offensive linemen. So I think we have to be careful in terms of being like, man, when he was in the backfield crushing, I think it was I'm trying to remember who the running back was maybe Bucky or, or Noah, like, wow, that was awesome. But then you have to recall, like, well, I think he was, I think he was also going against Charlie Pickard. So there, there, that, that part has to be at least considered. But no, I think Oregon doesn't have a ton of options off the edge, and that maybe is a good transition into Birch. You need someone of, 
you need one of these young guys to be a contributor, whether it's Mateo or Tatum, or I think Amari and Winston had a really strong spring. And actually he had, I think if you're just to watch the highlights again, probably as good of a spring game as Mateo or pretty close. Like he had a, a, a bull rush on Connerly that almost led to a sack. That was one of the better pressures of the day. So like, there are some options, but they're all really young and you need one or two of those guys to be contributors. And Mateo makes by far the most sense. And then um, to Jordan Birch, like I thought he had a really strong spring game quietly. I know he didn't record any stats, um, but I think physically you can see that he's just a different body type than really anyone else that they have on the roster, especially when you compare that with some of the athletic stuff. And I keep hearing about this, this, uh, this spin move that's supposedly so special. I haven't seen it. Every 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 everybody talks about it when they when they, when they talk about what does he bring and talk about a spin move. So I'm excited to see what that looks like. We haven't got a chance, but you know, just to the big picture here, um, we talked about how the offensive line like never allowed you know allowed five sacks all season, which was I think a program record, the best nationally. Well, on the flip side, the defense never got home. Like they just didn't get to the quarterback. And I think I was just writing about this earlier today. I was doing a recap of the of the different incoming transfers um, to the portal and. I think it's really important that Birch is a guy. Like, if he's not a guy, that's a huge issue for them because this is this is you know otherwise it's pretty much the same personnel up there that it was a year ago where you did have some issues. I know Popo's back, and I think that's quietly um, a bigger. No story. one seems to be talking about that. Yeah, because like in 2021, when he was healthy, um, like he was really really effective in pass downs as a, like an internal pass rusher, and the fact that he missed all last season, like, I think that's a big story, but not as big as Birch because they need guys off the edge. And DJ had a couple of nice games last year, but for the most part was pretty quiet. I thought Dorless had kind of an underwhelming season in, you know, in totality. But like, I, I think like Birch is such a crucial piece to all of this. And you saw things that were encouraging in the spring game. But of course we saw a year ago, DJ Johnson had like a million sacks in the spring game. And then he had the same number during the regular season or whatever. So, um, you know, you don't want to get too optimistic, but I, I, I think he's really important. Um, and again, didn't have a ton of opportunity to see him in practice, but physically he obviously kind of fits the bill pretty well. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, and when I was talking, when I've been talking about Birch, you know, throughout the spring and everything, 
it's obviously not the same player, but just from the physical caliber of a guy you're getting, I kind of likened him to Jason Jones, who's mm. uh, now at Auburn. You know, obviously the guys move completely differently, um, but just in terms of the the sheer size of of the dude, um, I think that that's you know someone worth mentioning just in terms of the the caliber of guy that you need along the defensive front to take that group to the next level. And then I think when you pair him or combine him with Popo, Dorless, um, you know, Taki, Casey Rogers, just the, the sheer depth that they have in the interior, those offensive lines that they're going against are going to have their hands full and somebody's going to have to break through. So I think just that's obviously one of the big storylines that we're going to be monitoring as we head towards fall camp. It's just the development of the pass rush. And it's important to note that it can't be all on Birch. I totally agree with yeah. you, Eric. I almost said Scopel. Uh, you can say that. Uh, well, I, I don't usually talk to you like that. So, no, but, like, Eric, I think that's a good point. Like, it's 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 super crucial that he shows up and has an impact this year. But it can't all be on him. You know, you got to have the rest of the group, especially in the interior, getting some good push. Because I think that's where you can really solidify yourself as a difference maker when it comes to, you know, a defensive front. Um, just one component I think that should be talked about is last year you had the issue where you had maybe not plus pass rushers, but also not plus coverage guys in the back end. Some of these issues get rectified in terms of pass rush if the guys on the outside just can keep their guy from you know being open for a second or two longer, which I think is the hope with some of these moves. Again, I mentioned that earlier. That was just one of the big things that stood out to me was that I think Dan pretty clearly went and looked at last year's roster and last year's team and said, we just didn't have enough elite coverage guys in the field or guys who can stick with people just hip to hip, man, you know, man on man. And they went out and, and not only did they bring in three, you know, a couple of guys from the SEC who are pretty highly regarded defensive backs. They brought Evan Williams in, but then I, I just think that Jamal Hill move sort of sign, signified something to me of like, they want to put at linebacker in particular, better athletes there. I think Devin Jackson's a guy who, certainly fits the bill and, and Justin Jacobs. But in general, you just kind of hope that coverage is better across the board because if that is the case, then it, you know, the two kind of work hand in hand in terms of getting home to the quarterback too. No, complete, completely agree. Um, I think that's definitely been a big talking point this off season. I have one more question I wanted to get, uh, you know, ask you before we get to some big picture things. Um, you mentioned uh, Jamal Hill moving to inside backer and, and how the, that group has kind of, struggled in coverage uh you know of late i think that was uh a, a, the primary knock on noah sewell you know as he was going to the nfl um was just how he you know he, he moves well pr pretty well and you know he, he's really physical and great against the run but that's kind of where he left a little bit to be desired and the ducks aren't exactly overflowing with depth at that position um, but you, you add a guy like Justin Jacobs, who was, was pretty highly regarded at Iowa until he got banged up, tried to come back from injury and then things got worse. Um, but now he looks like he's healthy. You got Jeffrey Bossa coming back. You got Je Devin Jackson, like you mentioned, Connor Soley, uh, Jerry Mixon is the only true linebacker that they signed in the 23 class. Uh, important to note that I think that the Ducks play a four, two, five defense. So you don't need a lot of bodies there, but what are your thoughts on where that group's at and, you know, kind of what they have uh, in that room when it comes to the 2023 season? Yeah, we just kind of talked about this on our podcast a couple of days ago. Of You know, I think it's pretty easy to um, to be discouraged by where the linebacker play was a year ago. Um, you know, you've touched on it already. And I think, you know, the issue was just general athleticism for me. You know, I think Noah was playing injured. He's already said as much. 
And there were times where he just wasn't a very good fit in this defense and try to play in space with, with faster athletes. Right. Um, and so I, I think it's pretty clear with what they've done in the portal with, with the position movie mentioned and just with kind of what they're developing. Like I think Devin Jackson's a really great fit for what they want to do out there just in terms of the speed and athleticism. So, um, you know, I, I, I look at what they're doing and I say, this all makes a lot of sense. Like it makes a ton of sense to get faster, more athletic. This is what, if you look at George's linebackers, like an Kobe Dean, smaller guy, extremely quick, extremely, you know, intuitive. I think you, Oregon hopefully has some guys that could blend that athleticism, you know, and kind of that uh, instincts, because I, I personally think that was where Jeffrey Bossa was a problem a year ago where sure. He's got a lot of the athletic intangibles, but there were times where he just didn't really seem like he had a, a nose for the football or, or a great read on a kind of where he needed to be in coverage. Um, so, like, you hope there's been improvements made there. And that's one of the things they talked about during this spring was just you should see big improvements from some of these linebackers when they have more time in this in this scheme. So I'm, I'm hoping you see improvements there. But you know, the point I made yesterday on our pod when we were talking about this was last year's team undoubtedly had more highly rated recruits with, you know, with the, you know, the pair of Sewell and, and Flo and, um, you know, those guys and this year's group, I even keep Brown was a, was a former top 150 recruit, I believe. So like, that's a, that's a pretty highly rated guy. This year's group doesn't have quite the same caliber of recruit across the board. Um, you know, that that's the def- determining part, but I think just from a fit with the defense and a general, like I said, speed and athleticism perspective, like, I think there's reason to think they can be better. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a ton better. And in fact, I think I, when I did my position rankings yesterday, I, I had them seventh out of eight groups you know the linebacking unit because i just i think there's more question marks there than there are at a lot of other spots but certainly i don't think the 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 cupboards bare like the ceiling is low i just think you you do have to look up and go like if you want to be objective with it like jacobs is your is your probably your alpha guy but he's coming off injury bossa was again pff thought he was basically the worst starting linebacker in the conference and then the other three that you expect to see play a lot connor soelli didn't play a ton at asu last year and neither Jamal Hill or, or Devin Jackson were playing linebacker really at all last year for Oregon, you know, at least not, I mean, Hill wasn't at all. And Devin played, I think the first four games, but nothing since. So if you want to be kind of, you know, again, cautious and, and, and not like hyping things up too much, you can say like legitimately across the board, one of the guys you're expecting to be a major factor at linebacker played big snaps at all last year at Oregon. And that player was, like based upon again, I don't know how much you want to play. I don't know. Actually, I don't even know. Max, do you care about PFF? Is that something you look at? Uh, I, I look at it. I don't have a subscription, so I just kind of yeah. you know take a peep one peek once uh, it, it shows up on Twitter or something, or someone writes a story about it. Gotcha. Yeah, and I don't think it has to be an end all or be all, but but just saying that like at least one service who was assessing things didn't think didn't think Jeff Bossa was very good last year. I don't know if I think he was as bad as the numbers say. But if you again, if you want to be kind of more cautious here on the linebacker unit, that would be the argument. Is a lot of this is unproven, even though I think um, what they've done personnel-wise makes a lot of sense for or makes more sense than what they had last year, at least. Talking with Eric Scopel here on the Ducks Dish podcast. He's at under at Eric underscore Scopel on Twitter. He's the football and women's basketball beat writer over on Duck Territory. Um, so make sure you guys give him a follow. But uh, Eric, I think another interesting question I just wanted to to throw out there for you. I know you've been on this beat longer than I have, uh, so you've gotten to see a, a couple different coaching staffs come through Eugene. Um, before I ask the question, who was the first staff that you covered? Well, um, I guess I was technically around when Chip was here uh, for, a, for one fall, but that was very uh, – 
I'll give myself credit for that, but I was like an intern who wasn't asking questions, who was just attending. Like I, the first time I was actually kind of actively reporting would have been Helfrich's first year. Okay, so we'll we'll we'll, we'll throw it, you know, Chip Kelly, Helfrich era, kind of around that timeline. So you've been around covering them since then, and then now Dan Lanning comes to town after uh, winning a national championship with Georgia. We got a taste of what's in store uh, on a ten-win season. W- what are some of the differences that you think? are, you know, pretty noticeable, whether it's the approach, hmm. uh, you know, practice energy, what we see on the field, what are some of the differences that you've seen and that you think are worth mentioning here as we head into the second year of Dan Lanning's tenure at Oregon? Hmm. That's a good question, Max. Um, you know, I think the buy-in is really apparent. Um, I think the culture is really strong. And I think culture is such a funny thing because it's, it's something we talk a lot about and it's really hard to kind of define what that means. Um, I remember 2019 under Mario Cristobal, like culture was, everybody was talking about how great the culture was and how much everybody cared for each other, right? And that was obviously a really special season. We know what happened there. Um, There's like definitely similar vibes right now, in my opinion, to where that was. Um, And just in terms of how people are talking about the situation. And I I think that's a really positive thing. Um, I don't know if that necessarily differentiates Dan from Mario or or past coaches necessarily. I just think that's something that has kind of stood out as an observer. Um, I think Dan, I mean, just like to the person, I think Dan's compared to Mario, who is probably just the comparison to make because they're, you know, you know, Willie was barely here. Mark Helfrich was very different from Dan Lanning in terms of basically everything. Um, But I I think what I see from Dan is, is he, he seems like a person that, has a little bit more going on in his life than just football, which is, I think, something that is, which is, I mean, like, I just remember when we asked Mario Cristobal what his Thanksgiving plans were, and he didn't mention his family the entire time. And you're kind of going like, typically, that's a day where you, you know, not not to be judgmental of how what happens in the Cristobal household, because I have a lot of respect for Mario, but that stood out. Whereas one of the things Dan makes point of, of bringing up is is the value of, of breaks for his coaches to spend time with their families. So again, I'm not, I, I'm not saying that's a, like a huge distinction. And I don't know behind the scenes if that's different at all. It's just, just one of the things that kind of stood out is it seems like Dan is, is, is somebody who's got a, a little bit more going on and not that he isn't focused on football, but it seems like he's, he's balancing the, the work-life part of it as best he can, which is, I think I imagine would be incredibly difficult. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like that's, that's always a hard one to answer in terms of kind of some of the more, I guess, like intrinsic factors in, in all of this but um those are things i guess that just kind of stand out in terms of dif- differentiating differentiating factors and dan's also i would say quicker with the in terms of the media like he's he's pretty darn tough up there to he he's 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 uh he's advanced almost oh yeah to where you'd expect him to be with with how he handles questions Mar- mario got to a point where he kind of played our game a little bit we're still playing dan's game is what i would say dan still kind of runs it up there and very very infrequently do we get something over on him or surprise him with the question and what i've noticed with dan in terms of that is when you do beat him i want to say beat him like it's not like a competition but when you do get a situation where maybe you get an answer where you can kind of tell maybe he didn't want to share that piece of information he's very quick the next time a similar situation pops up to have the right you know deflecting answers so he's the tape. To go into i think he breaks the tape down i think he does i break the tape down i think so Dan do I. The tape down. i watch all the cl- i watch i'm taking notes all the time on these interviews that's the way to do it so for sure for sure um yeah because i mean I- i've only covered two coaches since i got into the, the you know the sports writing industry um you know mario i was boots on the ground and then dan i was boots on the ground for a spring before the move so since then it's been kind of 
from a distance, but I watch all the pressers and everything. Um, and you know, the one thing that, uh, you know, Dan will absolutely make sure of is, uh, one of the journalism one-on-one questions that you learn, Eric, is if you ask a yes or no question, you're going to get a yes or no answer. Um, I know that some people try to sneak one in there sometimes, but you know, he's cut from that sec cloth and he's going to try to keep a tight lip on things that he doesn't want to talk about. Yeah, I got, I got, I was on the wrong end of that recently. It was a tough, it was a tough day. Tough, didn't, didn't feel good about it. Bad, bad self scout after that one. Need to, need to work on a, a question variance. No, you, you got to ask him sometimes. You got to try. Um, but I mean, we've all been in that situation before. Um, and we got a couple questions here. Want to try to open up the mailbag portion a bit. Um, sure. All since since everyone gets plenty of me, they don't get a lot of you on this show, Eric. I'm going to toss it to you first. This mm-hmm. one comes from Cha Cooley. Uh, question it seems dilly had the spring game play calling on fire did it seem to you guys that the offensive scheme left a lot to be desired or is it too early to tell was dilly a big loss uh it's too early to tell if billy if dilly was a big loss i mean i think just inherently somebody who goes from being a one-stop coordinator and having the success he had to being a head coach at a you know a competing you know pac-12 school like that sort of speaks to the fact that yeah like on face value it should be seen as a pretty big loss that doesn't mean that the replacement with Stein um, can't make up for it or, or be 95% or 100% of it. Right. Um, to the, to the scheme part, like, I don't know. I, I, I thought they, they took a lot of shots that just weren't successful. I think that was one of the things that just in watching it, like the very first game or for a first play for the green offense with, with Knicks was a shot downfield to Franklin where he had a step on Dante Manning and the ball just sailed a couple of yards. And there were a couple of other miscues there. And like, I was just thinking about this yesterday um while i was watching again of like how you know this is kind of a bit of a tangent off but i'll bring it back of like how different our conversations around justice low is this offseason if he just catches the one long touchdown because that's how again we have so little to to, to base our opinions off of but if justice low has a if he fin- if he completes the catch we're like oh man justice low is he the sixth guy like is he that next guy you in see there? him in spring did you see that touchdown like he really made a he made a case for himself and he dropped it and now no one will talk about him but kind of to that I guess to that uh to that point like if that ball is caught we're talking about the offense like hey you know they did connect on like three kind of long touchdown passes or three you know pe- touchdown passes of whatever it would be 25 30 yards or more that would be a little bit of a different conversation and they did have success you know throwing the ball downfield I know obviously the long test pass is a short pass turned into a long touchdown but you know Ty hit Chris Hudson deep uh you know Bo found Troy a couple times or a couple other times where there were defensive holds because the the, the receiver got back so I, I don't think that the scheme – I don't think they were necessarily um, not taking shots or not being aggressive. Um, I just think sometimes those plays just didn't connect. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned it, you know, that play on the Justice Low, uh, you know, almost touchdown. I feel like I found myself talking about it from Dante Manning's perspective. I'm like, oh, man, uh-huh. I liked what I saw from Dante on that play, you know, because he's one of those corners that, um, you know, he's the highest corner the Ducks have ever signed, and they're still kind of waiting for him to – to solidify himself as, as that guy. And he was saying, you know, kind of a put up or shut up year uh, again. So um, yeah. it's just funny how you can look at, you know, the same play from a couple different angles. And, um, but to that, to his credit, I did think that justice Lowe's looked pretty good. And then I kind of agree with you on the same front, as far as, you know, too early to tell, I do think Dilly was a loss from a recruiting standpoint, not to say that Stein can't be as good or better of a recruiter, but, I mean, you look what Dillingham did on the recruiting trail, getting Dante Moore, that was huge. Getting Bo Nix obviously was huge. Um, and then uh, even when he got to Tempe, getting Jaden Rashada, 
um, who was one of the the better passers in in the class. So that's a an, an interesting part to kind of peel the the layers back. Um, question from Eric: When does fall camp officially start? Is that when we'll get our next media availabilities? I uh, I want to say the next media availability will probably be Pac-12 Media Day in yep. uh, in Vegas, but I don't know if you have anything else on this on this front. Um, no, I, 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 in terms of Oregon sanctioned things, that would be start of fall Pac-12 related things, as Max just said, that'll be the Pac-12 media day, which I think is like the second week of July, um, in Las Vegas. I can't remember the date. I want to say it's like the 10th or the 12th. You might have, I, sure. I thought it was the, um, like the 20th or 21st. I know that I was a little bit bummed because I'm actually going to be on vacation during that time. And I come back like the day after it happens. So right. of course. But, uh, but yeah, I think Patchwell Media Day is probably our next... Uh... Is, is the next one. And then to the first part, I don't have a date, but other Eric. Nice to have another Eric on the show. Um, I think typically, I think we're looking at first week of August like normal. I would imagine, um, you know, tip, it, I think last year was, it was like a Tuesday because, yeah, so I would imagine maybe the first Tuesday of August. I don't have a calendar in front of me, so I don't know what date that would be, but somewhere, somewhere in that range and... and uh, and then, of course, we'll have the day before the first day of fall um, will also be um, Oregon's own media day where they'll have Dan come out and speak. And then last year, I thought it was great. They had, I think, 16 student athletes come out and go to four different stations and had them split up into four different, might have been more than 16. I can't remember, but they had a bunch of guys. And so I think that'll also be something to look forward to. But yeah, I mean, we're going to be in a dry season right now in terms of actual um, interview sessions with with Dan and, and players and I'm sure there will be some players on podcasts and coaches on different podcasts. We're trying to do that over on ours, but um, yeah, in terms of just like U of O sanctioned stuff, yeah, we're kind of in a, a bit of a dry period. For sure. Well, I, I know we got a little bit more time with you, Eric. I got one more question. I want to try to sneak in before we get you out of here. Um, Richard talking about why did Mateo drop from a five-star to a four-star after committing to Oregon? Um, I think that was, I want to say that was on two, four, seven. I know that you guys bring, you know, Greg Biggins on, um, yeah. you know, not trying to like point the finger or anything. Cause I've, I've heard a little bit, um, but we've t- been talking about, um, we've been talking about Mateo quite a bit on today's show. So yeah. maybe, maybe we could both offer our two cents. I, I, yeah, I don't have a great explanation. I've never asked Greg straight up on that one. Um, I don't think it's a cause and effect of he commits to Oregon. He drops his star. I, I don't think that's a thing that happens, even though sometimes it looks like it happens. I'm not saying it's never been a thing where there's, I mean, maybe there was some bias in the past. I just having talked to people like that's not really something that's on the table, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a great answer for, for why he dropped. Um, and I, I was actually just trying to pull up the, the archive rankings to see how far he dropped at the end there. Um, I want to right. say it was like 30 spots almost. I, I could be remembering yeah. that wrong. Um, but I, I think part of what I had heard, because you know, I like I try to listen to Greg when I can. And I, I check out your guys' show a lot. You do a great job. I, I think part of it was because of um, maybe not seeing as much top-end production as they maybe had hoped to see. Um, and I think part of that goes along with what we were talking about, about going back and forth between D-line and, and tight end. Um, so just kind of trying to, to tap into that full potential. Um, but you know, to his credit, you know, I, I saw, I was around Mateo a lot last year. I was at both of the games against modern day, you know, he really showed up in those biggest games when they needed him most. And, um, you know, rankings aren't going to be the end all be all, but you know, folks that like to follow recruiting always want to know, you know, what's going on with the rankings and is Oregon getting, uh, you know, shortchanged of the hype that they've kind of generated sometimes. 
Uh, oh, and I'll just say, I guess, last thing. Uh, I know I'm wearing a 24-7 sports hat. I'm employed there. I have nothing to do with the recruiting rankings if there's if there's a sense that I'm involved. I, I genuinely have. I, I go to a couple camps, and if people ask me, like, if a guy looked good, I'll be like, yes or no, but I don't have any insight really on these recruiting rankings. Just to, just to be clear if that's the sense that people maybe were, were getting. No, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, Eric, it's been an awesome show, man. Uh, I mean, I could talk to you for hours if we, if we both had the time, but any kind of final thoughts here on, on Oregon football and, and, you know, where the ducks are at, you think, as we kind of start turning our attention to fall camp, even though it's like a good three months away, three plus months. Oh gosh. Yeah, no, it, it, it this is the, I feel like this is the weirdly the most painful part of the year because we just got our taste and it was like a month of just football, football, football. And now we've got these couple of months where there's just, again, there's, it's kind of a dry spell. So um, yeah, this is the time of year where I'm rewatching games from last year and, and, and kind of just doing some busy work almost in terms of trying to assess where the team is at. And I guess the portal could still provide some answers. So that's something to kind of keep an eye out for. How does Oregon utilize its last you know, a couple of scholarships because they do have a couple to, to deal with now. And I think there's some positions, you know, not, you know I don't know how much we want to get into that to, to address, whether it be maybe another tight end or there's certainly some receivers that they're known to be in on. There's a couple of interior offensive linemen or defensive backs. So they're, they're clearly, you know, kind of kicking the tires on several different options and, and whatnot. So that'll be a thing to kind of see. I, I don't know how much all of that will matter, but there are some of the receivers you're looking at there could be pretty big game changers. And, you know, if you land one or two of those guys that could kind of shift a little bit where the receiver room is, which I'm already really high on. Um, Same. But, you know, it was funny actually, cause I was talking to another, I won't throw his name out there cause he was being very critical of Oregon's receiving room. And I was kind of like, really, I, I didn't think it was, I don't think it's bad. He's like, Oh no, they need to go get four or five more. But I'm like, wow, that many more players. They need to push everybody out. Okay. I don't think it's quite that bad, but at the same time, um, if they did upgrade, you could see that that would probably pose some uh, some nice advantages for them down the line. I wonder if I know who you're talking about. I think I do, but we'll talk about that off air. Um, but Eric, before we get you out of here, man, you know, thank you so much for coming on the show. Wanted to give you a chance to you know plug all of uh, you know your social media wherever people can find you uh, and find more of your work because you you kill it, man. I, I love your stuff. Oh yeah, uh, check out my stuff over in Duck Territory. I'm I'm one of three guys in the Ots and Audibles podcast, along with Matt Preem and Jared Mack. Uh, we post a couple of podcasts a week during the off season, and we get on four or five times a week during the season. Um, someone in the chat asked if I own Scopel's laundromat. Uh, no, my family did, and they sold it about two decades ago. Um, and uh, yeah, so the name I think still remains, but sadly, I uh, can't take any credit for their work. And if they did poorly, definitely nothing to do with it at all. <laughs> Right on, right on. Well, guys, make sure you go tap in with Eric and uh, read what he's got going on over at Duck Territory. If you want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter at mtourissports as well as on Instagram at mtourissports and on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus. Take a second out of your day, support the channel, hit that like button and subscribe, and then you can find all of my stuff over on ducksdigest.com. And uh, yeah, just a, another awesome time. Uh, you know, kind of quiet on the football side of things, but if you guys follow me regularly, you know, things are always going on the recruiting trail and, uh, it should be a very fun time here, uh, before too long, but we're going to get out of here. Thank you guys so much for taking some time out of your day to talk some ducks. Thanks to Eric for coming on and we'll see you guys in the next episode of the ducks dish podcast.
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.